So we have, what, 15 or 20? Yep. Perfect. It's the length of a quarter. I'm glaring at you for saying that. Okay. Okay. I'll start. Okay. Because I do. Okay. I'll give you an alley-oop. Stop that. (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lainey. I'm the founder of LaineyGossip.com. I am also a talk show host in Canada and an entertainment reporter. And I'm feeling pretty smug right now because... um, I made Duanna talk about sports. I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer, and I really have to start going first in these intros. (laughs) All right. On today's episode, we get into Taylor Swift's latest missive, I guess that's what you call it, against Scooter Braun and some others, why it's potentially controversial, and why it could be just one in a series of moves towards an eventual goal. Then, as we described, I did my homework. I watched The Last Dance. Why it is not just an engrossing documentary, but a work allegory that all of us should be paying attention to. This is Show Your Work. I think I know what it feels like to be a stage mom. Oh, okay. Like... As in all your hopes and dreams are pinned on someone else? Nope. As in, I will use whatever means necessary to me to get my candidates through onto a TV show. Oh, this is not what I was expecting. Okay, uh, back up. What do you mean? Give me some context. So there's a morning show here in Canada, and they're producing a special for kids on COVID-19, featuring questions Uh that children may have about the pandemic. And then they're going to bring on educators and psychiatrists and doctors to answer kids' questions. So they're taking questions like submissions from children. And my cousin, who you know, uh, has two adorable kids, beautifully named, by the way, um, as you also know. Well, no, that's a tease. You can't say that and then tell people. We either have to cut it or we have to tell what their names are. Okay, their names are Sasha, who's the older brother, and Marcel, the younger brother. And Mm -hmm. um, so both Sasha and Marcel submitted their videos. They're so fucking cute. I can't stand it. Anyway, so, well, I told her about it first and I said, do you want to do this? Let me know. And if you do, and she was like, yeah, I'll ask the kids. And if they want to, then I'll record videos and I'll send them to you. So the kids wanted to do it. She sent me the videos. I think obviously this is auntie stage mom here. They're the best. The show would be totally stupid if they didn't include these two questions. Um, So I emailed the executive producer and I was like, So where do I submit my videos? Uh, These are the best. You can't not include these. (laughs) So, um, and she was just like, 
Well, have their parents submit it through the legit channels because the parents will have to sign a release. You can't sign the release, which fucking red tape, man. Um, But yeah, I don't know that my influence was helpful at all. But then I got really indignant and I was like, well, I have the experience to tell you that this is a question you're going to want to like put on the show. In my head, obviously. I didn't say it out loud. But yeah, I think that's a little bit stage mommy, don't you think? I suppose. (laughs) No? Okay, sure. Anyway, should we do the podcast? (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) I don't know how you expect me to respond here after telling me uh, that you're stage momming and that these are the cutest two children on earth. And I don't seem to recall getting any sort of message. I don't know how I'm supposed to take this. Okay. Where, where was my, uh, flag for this right. and and you know you're playing it like oh of course you're gonna take it that way but you're also like oh right I didn't send that to you <laughs> I I know you I see you as soon as we are finished here I will send them to you don't even pretend well, that you won't receive it or accept it because you know you can't wait to see it yeah but I suspect it's late in the game for a submission if this is already out in the world you know so I just, uh, okay. They're I perfect. See. They I, do not need your feedback or your do it again, but like this. I'm sorry, whose feedback? What, do, what are we talking about? Yours. Yeah, but what about my child and <laughs> oh. my child's stage mom? Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, so you wanted me to send you the right, but you know this person. <laughs> she could have sent it what? to you. I, I'm sorry. I'm just, you chose uh, a horse to run, clearly. And I don't know what you thought was happening there. I Like, it's very clear to me, I guess, uh, the, the now where is, the loyalties the are. The deadline is May 1st. Like, you have fucking more than Don't patronize hours. me. Don't try to pretend like this is uh, something that you, you've suddenly forgotten i see i see where your loyalties lie and now we're gonna sit here and podcast this podcast yep there you go i actually totally misunderstood you i thought you wanted to like critique marcel and sasha's performance and then be like oh no they should do it like this but no you were actually going straight for your own child Uh, well you did preface with stage mom first of all (laughs) and if slightly disturbing uh precociousness is what we're after uh, we got that at our house in spades, but it's interesting that you mention it because, uh, not because of stage momming, but because I'm developing a theory and that is that in the coronavirus boredom, people are just dumping secrets everywhere. Uh, they're just opening things up. Uh, we got a late, late Saturday night email like even allowing for time zones, it was late. I think I got an email at like 1130 on a Saturday night uh, with the sudden information that Dolly Parton was one of the producers of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series. That Dolly Parton was a silent partner in Sand Dollar Entertainment, who I tried to call when I was like 20 to get a job. It did not know that they were in Nashville. 
Uh, and that, in fact, Sand Dollar Entertainment was one of the uh, producers of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series. Um, there's no real reason for this information dump other than, like, just straight up delight, right? But we we need the good news, right? Yep. And then the other revelation, uh, you know, I you mentioned actually on the podcast that I play uh, geometric games sometimes when I'm talking or listening to something on the phone. It kind of helps me think. It just distracts 10% of my brain. And uh, they're always like, they're not, you don't play with anybody. It's not Animal Crossing, for God's sake. It's nothing like that. It's literally geometry and that kind of thing. But if at times there are ads in between. It's a free game. So there are ads that you have to watch. And Jennifer Lopez is starring in a series of ads for Coin Master. And she's really kind of good. Like, I guess the concept of the game is that you steal coins from other people, maybe who are around you, I suppose. And they mostly take place like in grocery stores, but she's giving her all to everybody. And I wonder what the strategy would have been for these ads. They were clearly shot pre-COVID-19. But I wonder when they would have rolled out if this hadn't happened. Because what's happening now is that everybody in the world is playing way more of these games than they would be, one assumes. Yeah. And there she is every, you know, 19 levels or whatever it is, advertising to me that I should be playing Coin Master. The implication being you might be playing against Jennifer Lopez. That's really interesting because I wonder if gaming ads are what overseas ads used to be before the internet. Like everybody knows that pre-internet, um, lots and lots of A-list celebrities wouldn't do brand partnerships and brand endorsements in North America for fear of seeming I don't know, desperate or whatever, but you go to Japan or you go to Germany and there they'd be on the side of a bus hawking a watch or whatever. And of course, the internet just made boundaries dissolve. And so that's not really a thing anymore. And in the gaming world, like gaming is so huge. Um, it's the moneymaker, like in an industry that is bleeding money in all other ways. Like if you think about um, album sales don't make the money it used to, they used to, et cetera, et cetera. But gaming is so financially viable, especially now during the pandemic. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of crossover in terms of all kinds of shit can go down in the gaming world, but in the mainstream, you still won't hear about it. So I wonder if gaming is that in this world. And well, while you saw it, I mean, I mean, I saw it. I'm a pretty, else. no, I'm a pretty casual game player. And I should stress that this is like an iPhone game that you acquire at random. I don't know enough about the game that she is endorsing, except that I now remember the name because uh, the ads have popped up enough and it's a series of different ads. But uh, it's not like one of the, you know, we know about high-end games having celebrity voices in them, right? Or yeah. that kind of thing. That's sort of more of a thing or like that's counted as a role sometimes when you and I are on IMDb. But this is literally like 
Yeah. It, it's it's a lot the way you're describing about the the international ads that for X amount of dollars and what amounts to probably a day's work, um, there they have these ads and there's I, I could have cared less about something called Coinmaster. Right. But they have Jennifer Lopez and she's either somebody has scripted it well or she's just improving being herself because I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty good representation of Jennifer Lopez. It's good. Well, if you're out there and you're a gamer, let us know if there are any other celebrities like at the level of JLo who are popping up, you know, in between your 19 levels in your game trying to make a quick dollar. Why? She, I mean, it's probably got to be big dollars for her. I would imagine, or it's a quick get it done, you know, uh, or who knows what, maybe if we dig and dig about who owns coin master and whatever, it's some favor to somebody, but, uh, it, it definitely jolts me out of my podcast that I'm also listening to at the same time. And I'm like, Hey, Jennifer Lopez is in my living room, bedroom, whatever. So, uh, those are our COVID surprises so far. Dolly Parton, Jennifer Lopez, and you've betrayed me as a stage mom. <laughs> okay, ready to get into this week's agenda? Taylor Swift. Not a surprise. Uh, but actually, sort of related to what we're talking about in terms of um, financial matters. Okay, so last week... It was uh, late Thursday. She posted an Instagram story uh, once again calling out Scooter Braun and his company and their investors for releasing an album um, that she did not authorize and trying to make money off of her. Um, and, and of course, as we all know, uh, her first six albums, seven, six, her first six albums up to reputation. Um, the masters of those were sold by Big Machine, her former label, to Scooter Braun's company. And she's really pissed off about it. And she tried to buy her masters back and they weren't working with her. That is all previous information, the new information is that she's mad at them for this new album release, which is a, was a repurposing of certain recordings. Um, of was it not live? Was it live recordings? Is that what I saw? I, it's hard to find this album. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So um, there was no like, you know, it was, as she said, it was her fans who alerted her to it. There was no write-up, you know what I mean? Like, the industry wasn't saying, and coming this Friday, this album. So there was no publicity around it. Um, in fact, most people only learned about its existence because she announced it on her Instagram stories. Right. And uh, the accusation is, um, here's a headline that says it's a planned live album of a given 2008 show. So uh, conceivably, all the songs she's performing are the ones that he has the rights to. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting kind of issue because if they're not publicizing it, how much is it going to sell, which makes Scooter Braun money, which is ostensibly the reason to do it, right? Right. And so you're saying that most people only know about it because she mentioned it. 
Well, I think that the headlines that came out afterwards were about Taylor Swift calls out Scooter Braun for releasing new album of her recordings, previous Mm -hmm. live recordings. Prior to that, no one was talking about there is a new Taylor Swift album that is streaming right now. So she, and I actually, that's why I pitched this story to talk to you, but I actually don't know how to feel about it. I can, like, I feel supportive of her on the one sense, and then I'm also really confused about the move in another sense. So, um, you know, when we talk about work and when we talk about Taylor's work in particular, because we have seen that she's very methodical about her what she does, and we have respected her for that. She right. seems to think things through. Absolutely. Uh, and certainly she she doesn't react in emotional ways, right? Uh, maybe in songwriting, maybe in her personal life, but where business is concerned, she's always super measured and only sort of speaks about things like this when it's necessary. Yes? Yes, I think that she, I think that that's accurate. I think that she defends it with emotion, but there is much business consideration to go along with that emotion. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Um, now, one reason for it could be, and I sort of understand this, is that in her statement, she points out that Big Machine has listed the date as a 2017 release mm-hmm. when conceivably they were not yet uh, in the throes of their argument, uh, but in fact that they're only releasing it today. So I guess if you were a deep, deep, deep Swifty, uh, and you thought that it was okay to stream stuff that had ha- had been released before the great breakup, but not afterwards, that listing that date that way is a way to dupe them. But I can't think of how much money that would actually be netting them. I, I, I can't. Yeah, I don't know that it was like it would have been a huge financial gain for her opponents or adversaries or the people she considers to be her opponents and adversaries. I will say that um, from the perspective of her supporters, um, you know, as we all know, well, we don't know, but we know that whenever we talk about streaming of any sort, be it music or like television, the word algorithm always comes up. Mm-hmm. And so with music streaming, algorithms also are a factor. And uh-huh. so whenever you do release something new, the most simple way to describe this, because it's quite complicated, is a new thing pushes older things down the list. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So when you release something, let's say on Spotify, that is a streamed music service, um, something like this, it ends up screwing up the order and the view of the searchability of other tracks and other releases. So in theory, her most recent album, Lover, with her newest label, should be at the top of the algorithm for when you search Taylor Swift's archive. Now, this new release that she doesn't make money off of that is being put out for the profit from like for, to profit her opponents has fucked up the algorithm in a way that her fans have taken upset, exception to. Sure. And, you know, to kind of extend that, um, they don't 
need this money from this particular album, given that they're still making all the money from all those first six albums, as you point out. Like, there doesn't need to be a reissue of one concert in 2008 in order to continue to benefit off the Taylor Swift machine, because to her mind, they're benefiting off the Taylor Swift machine. Well, I, I think that in her, in that Instagram story, though, in the text of her Instagram story, you remember that thing that she said, like, even they're realizing that $330 million was too much or something? Yeah, yeah. Right. So I I don't think that they're recouping what they invested in her catalog, number one, because um, I don't think you can just, like, you know, that music is by and large old, right? It's not fresh. So anybody who wants to listen to that music has probably already downloaded it. And you're never going to make $330 million off of music that's previously been released unless, I mean, this is a terrible thing to say, someone has died. Yes? And then... Uh, Yeah, sure. There's, There's some of the... The only argument that I would make is that some of those songs are not just you know, previous recordings of an old artist, they're iconic. Sometimes people like them for, uh, you know, they might be some of the songs that would be uh, people want to license for movies, for films, whatever. That can be exceedingly expensive. So that is arguably a way to make some of that money back. Well, when it comes to licensing, she has to approve. So she, she, they only make money without her approval on the sales of individual songs when regular people listen to them. When you want to use that one of her old songs in a commercial or a movie, she has to sign off on it. Well, then I agree with her that $330 million That's was right. a stupid amount of money. That's right. And so because they're not recouping the money, she was saying in her Instagram story, yeah, that's why they had to fucking go and like, you know, try and jazz it up, try and jazz up my old music to see if they could squeeze any more change out of it, Um, which like impossible. Like, and I guess what she was underscoring is this is the the amount they were trying to charge me to buy my own masters. And I'm like, and remember she said we were negotiating and like they were playing hardball. She wasn't going to pay that much money for her own music, but she's like, um, that's ridiculous. It's not worth that much money. Yeah, so this is, let's call it what it is then. This is a pathetic attempt to uh, money grab, to dress something up that is uh, old, pretending it's something new. And, uh, you know, it's it's hoping that people stream some, make some money some. Look, this is different. It's not actually all that different. That's the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody can really see anything in this that is secretly going to funnel other money other places. So then I guess uh, I come back to your side of things and go, what's the point of addressing it? Well, I'm, this is why I'm, we're doing this, because I think I've talked myself into a firm position now, or at least. So if we are of the position that she thinks through things and she's quite strategic and she has already acknowledged that there's no way that these people are going to make $330 million back just on streaming old music, then 
Was it a ha 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 dressed up as a feel bad for me? I mean, let's say it was, but we've ha 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 at them before, but that's not the play to your point. Unless it's to my point that coronavirus makes people do dumb things. Isn't it the 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 bigger play to just kind of smirk and move on? Isn't she undoubtedly attracting more attention to this album for the 19% of people who are going to be like, eh, I'm going to try streaming it anyway in case it has something new to give me? Like, what is the benefit? I don't know. I don't know what the benefit is. I mean, there, there. Here are options. It's a ha ha ha, like yeah, sure. do what you want. Um, I'll dress it up as, hey fans, look, he's trying to fuck me over again. But in reality, underneath that, it's a ha ha ha, like that's how desperate they're getting. Um, or it's a, like a, or it's a. I want to remind you how wrong these people, how many times these people have wronged me and uh, also a claim to one's own work, which everyone should be entitled to do in theory. Like we should, and her, her argument too is especially for women in the, in the industry to be able to claim what's theirs and not allow men to, to, to take what a woman has done and call it their own. That's fine, but it has effectively been communicated before now. I don't think there's anybody who pays attention to the Taylor Swift uh, pantheon enough to know who Scooter Braun is or why this is significant, who wouldn't know that this is going on at this time, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, who wouldn't believe that if she was releasing a live album that she wouldn't be promoting the hell out of it. Right. Now, let me ask you the cynical question. Uh, I will tell you one thing I have ceased paying attention to, and that is the the release of the release of the release of the Kardashian call and then the the complete call and then the transcripts of that. And then wasn't there something last week or so about like Kanye's uh, like the full text of the transcript from the call that the whatnot Like, I guess what I'm asking you is, is this a diversion from something? Is this a look over here? Because that's a time-honored move from anybody who kind of dukes these things out in the press, right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, we're all kind of, we're all conditioned to think this way when it comes to celebrities, that it's a bait and switch all the time, except there really isn't anything to be diverted. Like, I mean... There's been nothing going on where she's concerned. And she has canceled all of her live shows for 2020. Yeah. So she's She's not not one of the people who is hedging their bets that will be back in August. I mean, October. I mean, January. No. No. There are a lot of acts who have postponed their performances and have said, hey, we're delaying these shows, but you know, we're looking for new dates. She just blanket straight up said 2020 is done. See you in 2021 or beyond. So she's canceled all of her, her live shows. If she's canceling all her live shows, there's probably not going to be another album. Um, and so, uh, there's really nothing, unless something 
she got advanced word that some terrible story was going to break about her this week. I, I don't know, but it's already too late. Like nothing broke about her last week or in the last three days that that would have been a diversion for. And whatever drops now, we'll have forgotten about this latest thing. It'll be the big story. So there was no, yeah, that was not a move for that. Okay. Um, or a, or a, you know, a, a, what's the word, a proactive move against something that was going to come out in the tabloid that later got squashed. Mm -hmm. Something like that. You know, I, uh, again, I'm not trying to be cynical, but it does seem a lot like when you've won the war against your childhood bully or that woman at work or whatever, you don't then keep walking around talking about how much better you are than that person. You pretend they don't exist. I understand that it's different because this is her work that he's exploiting and not just him, but he being the rep for the company and all the stakeholders. Um, you know, I understand that's the case that it's her, her work and therefore her money that we're talking about. But I, it just seems like so much good energy spent on something that wasn't concerning a lot of people or everybody is so not busy that they jumped on an Instagram story that she has since forgotten about and is like, why are people still talking about this? But as you point out, she's savvy enough to know that anything she says is going to wind up in the press some way or another. I'd like to believe that this is a long game move because my initial my initial reaction is, you know, was, sorry, leaning in the way that you're describing, which is why now, what's the point, the war is won. I don't think, though, in her mind that the war is won. I don't think the war is won until she gets her master's back. I think ultimately that is the, the castle she wants to storm or take back, if we're using that analogy. And so if this is a chess move in a longer game of devaluing your comp the company, your opponent. And so ha ha haing in their face and saying, even your desperate, pathetic attempt to make money off of me is going to fail because I'm going to shut it down at every turn. I'm never going to allow you to license my music in commercials or movies so you can't make money that way. I'm also going to shut down any kind of creative packaging, streaming, whatever you're going to release. You're only going to make pennies off of that. And one by one, your investors are going to be saying to you, hey, Scooter, was that a good business decision? And you might have to unload those assets at a greatly reduced cost so that I can swoop in with my probably in the neighborhood of 100 million and take it back. I would like to believe that that is the fucking long range chess game here. I mean, I really like that. If she implies. I only uh, got to that after talking to you, though. I, well, that's I wasn't okay. there 20 that's, minutes ago. <laughs> that's okay. But I like that. If every, because as we just said, she knows every move she makes is a headline, right? Yeah. So if every headline about this, uh, hey, watch out for this live release album, also includes her inference that they're out of money, suddenly all these outlets are reporting that maybe they can't afford this expensive catalog suddenly it becomes clear that they're hanging on to it out of pettiness and she almost is creating her own paper trail. I'm not mad at that. I like that 
if that's uh, the long game play. I hope that's the long game play because I, I think that's that's great. You almost it's counterintuitive because she's almost saying my own work isn't worth that much money. Uh huh. But it's but it's brilliant at the same time. There is another more uncomfortable angle to this that um, some people have brought up. And this is a tweet that actually Maria on our team sent to me um, by Molly Lambert. Um, I think a lot of people probably know Molly Lambert from Grantland. Sure. And many other outlets. Yeah. Um, Molly Lambert tweeted last week on the day this whole Taylor Swift story came out with her Instagram story calling out Scooter again. In that message, by the way, in that Instagram story, she calls out Scooter Braun, his company, and other investors, among them uh, the Soros family. Mm -hmm. So Molly then tweeted, quote, remember when we all apologized for calling Taylor Swift a Nazi? And then she dog whistled the far right, LOL. And then Molly followed with a tweet saying, quote, George Soros isn't even a Zionist. So yeah, not great, Tay, end quote. Um, I don't, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not sure if you are. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I haven't the faintest. I'm going to need you to unpack that for me because uh, it didn't make sense at first glance. And I'll be honest again, I'm probably, I'm nowhere near an expert. So I think I'm just going to have to go. um, I think I'm going to have to just go on the internet and cite uh, and read an article. That's what we do. We learn on the internet. Sure. So this is from the Jewish news, timesofisrael.com. Quote, Taylor Swift is drawing criticism and apparent applause among her neo-Nazi fan base for calling out the Soros family in an Instagram post. It's the latest salvo in the pop superstar's ongoing battle with her former record label. Continued, the family long has been at the center of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about Jewish domination of global banking. George Soros, a Hungarian billionaire and liberal, liberal philanthropist, typically is the main target, but his son Alex the deputy chair of his father's Open Society Foundations, has begun to feature in them as well. Continued, according to Swift, Alex Soros also is playing a role in the hugely popular singer's nasty and public fight fight with her former label. Um, Okay, and further down the article, it reads, to many people who viewed Swift's post, Swift was invoking language that many have used to signal anti-Semitic sentiments. Quote from Tara Mulholland, a CNN producer on Twitter, quote, Taylor Swift deploying a Soros dog whistle is a choice. Continued, Ben the Ark, a Jewish progressive political advocacy group with which Alex Soros is closely involved, tweeted a message to Swift on Friday afternoon, quote, you have every right to be upset about others profiting off your music, but please don't share anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about the Soros family. Shameless greed is a dog whistle used against Jews. Your Jewish fans deserve better. End quote and total quote from the Jewish News Times of Israel. That is our background. So with the background background, 
you remember there was some background in the past about Taylor Swift not um, rejecting her white nationalist supporters and they're calling her an Aryan princess. Yeah, there was a time when she was really coy about her voting record and Mm -hmm. about her uh, choices where there was a segment of uh, whatever you want to call them, the Hitler Youth or some other more politically correct name. Yeah. uh, Where they said, oh, she's the perfect woman. She's this blonde, blue eyed star who's wealthy and who obviously votes Republican and knows better than to say so. That's right. And so right. then over the last couple of years, she's really used her voice and said, how could you think that of me? I would never. Um, it's just that. And then, we, you know, that was as Molly Lambert tweeted, that was like, an, we felt bad. Like, you know, OK, you aren't a Nazi. Uh, you don't have Nazi sympathies. And then now in this post and i don't i think it's maybe the second time or third time she's invoked the soros family and tapped into or according to some people tapped into all these conspiracy theories and then used the word greed as you know this organization has pointed out that is why some people are that's in the other layer to this controversy yes I think I understand it a bit better now. So it's the combination. Uh, part of what you said was that even maybe invoking uh, the name Soros critically can be uh, loosely linked to being maybe anti-Semitic and therefore anti-democratic and so forth. The same way that if you say Jordan Peterson says uh-huh. uh, without any other context, it's in, it can be seen in support of Jordan Peterson. And then in combination with the terms shameless greed, uh-huh. uh, then I sort of see where the controversy comes from. And then the question is, is she conscious of that? And that's where I sort of have a discomfort. Because if you are conscious of that, then it really muddies what you and I just decided was the mm-hmm. goal of this, yeah. right? Um, and if she's not conscious of it, I could understand why not, because that's a deep cut. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I, I think that a lot of people would have a hard time believing that she's not conscious of it. Um we are in Canada. Uh, we may not have that so front and center for us, but I'm quite, a, I'm even, I'm aware of it just because so much of our media that we consume is American. I believe that like John Oliver has addressed the Soros thing um, on his show last week tonight. Um, again, like, you know, I've read about it enough without going to look for it to know that it's a thing and we're supposed to believe that Taylor Swift is informed. Yeah. And educated. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would go that far and I'm not trying to cover her ass. I just don't know if Taylor Swift is informed and educated is necessarily a phrase I would use. And I don't think that I'm not trying to say that critically. Taylor Swift is opinionated. Absolutely. Is something that I would say. Um, Taylor Swift is a staunch feminist in what 
whatever version that means to her, I would agree with. And, you know, you and I are sitting here talking about is Taylor Swift media savvy for sure. But it seems to me, and I could be misunderstanding, that invoking somebody's name in and of itself is not the issue, right? It's invoking the name in combination with the inference of greed or the inference of wielding power or something, right? Uh, it's it's invoking the like because uh, look, if we were talking about the Koch brothers or about uh, oh I don't know uh, some other huge you know the Murdochs or whomever, uh, you have to be able to refer to human beings to the people whose names exist without uh, assuming their association. I'm not sure, but. Uh, you know, I, I I wonder, I wonder how much deep political, uh, you know, internet resonance is reaching her. She's remember, she's not a 22 year old artist who's being closely supervised by the label. It's not like she's sitting in social media classes every week either. I can believe, I think, and I hope I don't live to regret this, that this is something that passed her by, not that it was something that would uh, that is designed to to gin up sympathy from a, an un, undesirable, in my mind, in your mind, an undesirable audience. I guess either way, whether or not you believe uh, she would have been ignorant to it, it undermines that hope, that power move that we're hoping it was. You know what I mean? Like you want a power move like that to be a power fucking move to be like, oh, wow, she did this without and be able to stand on its own without like, hey, out of in her mind, if she was ignorant out of out of another like, you know, out of an unexpected territory, somebody coming in and being like, yeah, saw your message. Hey, anti-Semitic. And yes. Yeah. If that was a calculated yes. move on her part, which we were, we we're kind of hoping in like 10 minutes ago, like how, hey, power move, then it, it kind of weakened it a little bit. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, you know, often there are slang terms uh, that people hear or use. And somebody says, even now you hear it all the time that somebody says, really, that's the term you want to use. That's your choice. And somebody says quite innocently, why? What? What is the negative implication there? Uh, and regardless of whether you know it or not, if there's something that has an implication, the one that comes to mind is call a spade a spade, but there are dozens of others, right, that mm -hmm. are used in common parlance, but that have a negative association. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The message is uh, less clear if it's perceived to have a double meaning, whether you mean it to or not, mm -hmm. then if it absolutely didn't. Um, so I certainly hope that's a fatal error. Uh, but I don't know, man, that's, that's yeah. a, I, I, the other thing that we could debate if we had more time, but I think it's, it's better that we don't is what the benefit is there. Uh, what the, you know, the benefit of, of riling up that kind of an audience is in terms of their uh, internet power and hacking power and so forth versus the, the negative that would come back on it. 
I would hope to look back on this in a year. I mean, I want to look back on a lot of things a year from now and be like, fuck everything that happened. (laughs) Don't want to remember it. Um, but I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to revisit this in a year and and reassess whatever this move is and what the motivation is, was behind it and whether or not it worked and what she has to say about it. Because, you know, as we know, Taylor likes to explain the explanation. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I had homework for you last week. You did have homework for me and for the show your work listening audience. For those who hadn't watched already or weren't planning to, yes, the assigned homework was to watch The Last Dance, which is the ESPN documentary about the final season or the um, the, the the Chicago Bulls 19, well, anyway, their sixth championship. Um, yeah, it's the 97-98 yeah. season. Um, did you do your homework? I did my homework. Uh, all of, I think, what was available then, um, as of recording time, there are four episodes available, and uh, I've just about finished the fourth one. <laughs> so you're even ahead of me at this point. <laughs> so you said watch the show. Okay, did you breathe in between? I, no, I didn't because I left it to the last minute, like all good homework. Oh, okay. Uh, and so I also know you're I pretty like, good at faking homework uh, doing it's this. True. So uh, you, yeah. Well, listen, we're going to get into exactly that. We're going to get into people's work habits and who knows you and how they know you, uh, because that's what this is about. And that's why you wanted me to watch it. Yes. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you why I didn't want to. Um, and you said it in your introduction. You said that this was a documentary that had been filmed around the Chicago Bulls gunning for their sixth NBA Title. championship. Yeah. Right. To which I said, who cares? I, if, if they're going for their first, great. If they're, right. if they're going for their only ever, absolutely. But who cares about the sixth? And to everybody who uh, sees me on that, who felt like there were other things to watch that was more important here, I will say that the first thing this doc does that I love is it did the impossible. Early on in episode one, in explaining to you within the first five minutes why you care, it does the impossible, which is that it makes the five-time NBA champions, the Chicago Bulls, the underdogs, somehow. So kudos to that. I think also kudos to telling a story at the time it needs to be told. As we now know, 
this footage was sitting in the vault for a long, long time. What, 22 years? Well, uh-huh. I guess when they started making it, it would have been about 18 or 19 years. Uh-huh. And I don't know that um, you would be able to have the distance to find the the arc that you want to lay out in the immediate aftermath of the season. No, I think that is true. Anytime that you do any sort of documentary follow, if it's something that is happening in the press in the moment, um, yeah, you definitely need some distance, A, so that people have the appetite for the story, and B, so that, you know, this is one of those docs where they have everybody under the sun uh, available for interviews. Uh, There's a real spoiler here, but Barack Obama who lived in Chicago for decades, shows up at like the 12 minute mark. Yeah. Um, so they're they're blowing that load there, if you will. Um, yeah, A, that people have an appetite to tell the story and B, that they have things to say as opposed to what do you want me to say? It's all right there on the tape. And also having things to say after the fact that not only assesses what the situation was for them then, But I think it's more worthwhile later to assess the situation that was then. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Sort of. But let's let's dig into some specifics a little bit. I'm speaking about, for instance, Scottie Pippen. Right. So let me just be the voice of the non-athletic, the non-fans here. Let me just sketch this out for you a little bit. Um, the story is told obviously chiefly through the eyes of Michael Jordan. If you've ever read the words, Michael Jordan, then uh, you get the idea. He is the hardest working. He's the star. Basketball had never seen anybody like him. Is that fair? Is that correct? Yeah. I think a lot of people would agree with that. I don't think you're going to get half the word. I don't think you're going to get a whole planet saying you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah. No. And look, they have bigger (laughs) fights to fight than with me if they do. Right. Then they sketch out a few other characters. Mm -hmm. They sketch out Scottie Pippen Mm -hmm. as the talented number two. The Robin. The the Robin. That was a great comparison. They say uh, that he is the Robin to Jordan's Batman, that that Jordan needed him, that he was his other half on the court, that that's part of the machine that made it work, but that he was uh, maybe overlooked in his talent and certainly overlooked financially. There are a bunch of reasons why, but the headline that comes out is that uh, at the height of the Chicago Bulls run, Scottie Pippen ranks number 122 yes. in the NBA for salary. Yes. Embarrassed. One assumes that Michael Jordan was number one. So imagine 120 other people between those two, and they are one and two on the court. And they had just won five titles. Right. And there are lots of reasons why, and they get into that. But this contributes to Scottie Pippen living in the Robin role. Right. Then they sketch out uh, a couple other people. And before I go further, I want to say the reason this resonated for me As a whole, the reason I thought this was worth watching, but also talking about, not just uh, as a as a fabulous piece of documentary filmmaking, but as a it's a work. um, 
it, it's a it's a work metaphor. It's an allegory. That's the word I'm looking for. You are, when you watch this, immediately one of these people. And when you talked about the timing of it, yes, it's enough time for people to have perspective. Yes, it's enough that, you know, you look back and you have nostalgia. But also, we're now in a time when every single person on the planet has a different work life than they did a couple of months ago. And I think a lot of people are being self-reflective about work in a way that they weren't a couple of months ago. Would you agree with that? I agree. Yeah. Uh, About their role, about who they are in their company, on their team. And so I submit that you are one of these people, right? So you are either Michael Jordan, the star, or Scottie Pippen, the also ran, the Robin, the assist, or Dennis Rodman, the wild card, Mm -hmm. um, who is sketched as uh, complicated and super talented, but not everybody knew how to work him. Like you had to press certain buttons to get Dennis Rodman to operate properly. Yep. He was a puzzle. A puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. A Rubik's yeah. cube. If you knew, you knew. And if you yeah. didn't, then too bad. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then there's their coach, Phil Jackson, uh, Phil Jackson uh, who's the visionary. Yeah. The the playmaker, the architect, the whole thing. Yeah. And so I think you could make an argument that any given workplace is is one of these people, right? It's like uh anybody in a workplace is one of these people. It's like the birth order thing. It's like uh yeah. um astrology, right? It's like anybody or could it's fit like into sex one of in these the roles. city. Are you a Yeah, or it's any game that we play. Are you Harry Potter houses, are you Samantha, Carrie, Charlotte, whatever it's, but as applied to the workplace, yes, for sure. You can typically slot somebody in the MJ, Scotty, Dennis Rodman, or the Phil Jackson area. Do you think they created it that way? Do I think they? Do you think the filmmakers uh, designed the series to be viewed that way? 100%. I think that I've seen, like, I mean, I've seen enough of these 30 for 30 style documentaries to, to, to have some experience of like where they, where, I mean, for sure this is a sports documentary and it's for the sports lovers. So if you're just watching to get highlight reels of Jordan and to know what the dynamic was in the locker room, you're going to have that satisfied. But as we always say, Duanna, when something is successful, it has to appeal to more than just its target audience. It has to have a universal appeal. Absolutely. As well as a specific appeal. Yeah. And I would say as somebody who is not a sports fan, uh, in terms of remembering that game or knowing that play or whatever, I would say that there's actually very little time spent on that on, you know, the nostalgia and a lot and a lot of time spent on how do we do the work that we do? How are we different from other teams? How are we going to continue to be different? Because now they know all our secrets. And I think that also, in addition to breaking it down in a way that is very tangible for like even the non-sports fan, is also we come back to this in our show all the time, the real world application. Even though you may not be Scottie Pippen dealing with that amount of money, you can relate to 
being underpaid for your work, period. Well, let's just uh, pull out the secret here. Yes, lots of people can relate to being underpaid for their work or to having a colleague who you think is great, but maybe doesn't deserve all that. But what happens, and really you should watch it to see how and why, but Scottie Pippen uh, has what is known in our circles as a suck attack. Yes. He has a suck attack, which again, how many of us haven't been tempted to have a suck attack at work and to basically tell our bosses to go fuck themselves? Essentially, that's what he did every single day. Yeah, absolutely. But the point is, it was passive aggressive in the way that he did it. He didn't storm into a room and knock over a table. He pouted and he pouted about the writing on the wall and he acted offended, hoping that somebody would ask what was wrong. And if you're not feeling the shame of recognition right now, then I venture that you have never been a person with a friend group or a boss or like an association that you worked in. He passive aggressive about it, about the fact that he wasn't happy. And it is clear to your point about looking back 20 years later, it's clear that it is something that he regrets, not because of necessarily the the visible outcome that you're like, oh, this was a clear trajectory and then he was no longer Scottie Pippen. It's because of what it said about him and how he dealt with problems in the moment, right? That's right. And yet, at the same time, which is why I love it, I... I wasn't watching it saying, oh, I'm embarrassed for you. You're having a suck attack. I felt a lot of empathy. A lot of empathy for it. Because as you just said, who among us hasn't been there? Well, there is one person. And that's Michael Jordan. <laughs> None of us are him. <laughs> no. And I think it is probably worth saying that I realized watching this that Michael Jordan is an actual genius. And I don't mean that in the sense that he is a genius at basketball because he's so preternaturally talented. It's because it's very clear that the pathways in his brain are, uh, the pathways in his brain are engineered to immediately shoot like basketball logic and strategy and gameplay and uh, psychology to shoot those through the neural pathways at once, right? That he has coached his brain and created those synapse connections. I'm talking like I know about the brain um, to make those decisions in milliseconds. Uh, but he, when he talks about, yeah, this sequence of events that was happening with Pippin, it's very clear that uh, he's sympathetic to a certain point, but that he's he would never be there. And that, to me, was another lesson, that these three dudes, uh, and maybe there will be more introduced, but these seem to be the real players, that Pippin and Jordan and Dennis Rodman are looking at each other and having to realize we are not all the same. I don't operate like that guy. Mm -hmm but I need to understand how that guy operates in order to do our best work. Or in relatable terms, 
that is not my work style, but I've got to at least be able to understand or um, see what another person's work style is to figure out how my work style can gel with theirs. Yeah. And I would even say somewhere along the line, when you're working, you realize that a whole bunch of you is not actually optimal, right? Yeah. That if everybody works the same way, you don't actually get to the same place as when other people make you better because they think differently than you do. That's a sports team. (laughs) It doesn't mean I don't resent you for having put me in this position of making sports metaphors, though. Well, that is that is professional friendship and friendship. (laughs) Um, There is so much more to say about the last dance, though, as you can tell, Duanna did all the talking, uh, mostly about uh, in our first conversation about the last dance. And for theories, I see theories and discussed brain activity. So clearly, I think um, we probably given that there's 10 episodes to go, like almost another three weeks, they're doing two a week. Um, there's going to be more work revelation and more work deep diving. So should we come back to this after the finale? Yeah, I think that would be great. And in the meantime, tell us if you guys lived this moment, if you remember it, or when you fell in love with sports, because I'm not there, but I could be someday, maybe. And that concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We love getting your emails and your notes about work, whatever that looks like these days. Keep us posted. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.